Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would, go ahead and join me in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Jesus was a, I should say is, a master teacher. He's a master at the art of asking questions, the master at the hearts of men. He, he knew how to uh, really drive a point home for full effect. He always knew who was listening. He knew what they needed to hear. He knew that they would ultimately uh, figure out within their own heart what they needed to do to apply it. And everyone would walk away scratching their head, knowing that there was more to process. Jesus gave great illustrations, and today is no different. So this is a very familiar story in, uh, in Luke 15, perhaps one of the best known of all of Jesus's parables. And yet, I think often very, very mistaught and misunderstood. And so I'm going to begin in verse 1 because that's ultimately where the parable begins. So Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors, which, by the way, everybody hated. I mean, kind of some things have never changed, but we'll stop there. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, what? grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So I want you to notice that right out of the gate, it seems that these men are very envious of Jesus's reputation. Uh, and, and for some weird, weird emotional, I don't know what the baggage is that they're carrying, but they are angry that the Jesus they don't like is attracting people they don't like. Do you see, do you see kind of the, it just doesn't really, don't try to rationalize it. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense. But, but, a, but a hardened heart never, never really does. So he told them, the Pharisees, this singular parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost now, it's very important as you work through this. I'm not going to get caught up into a lot of semantics in this message, but his friends and neighbors couldn't possibly know that the sheep was lost. And yet he had expectation that they would want to rejoice because he loves the sheep so much, and they knew that. That's the kind of excitement that this shepherd has over his lost sheep. We're just rejoicing for rejoice sake. That's... That's real love. And that's, that's the idea that everybody would love what I love the same. And 
It's protection. It's, it's care. I mean, think about leaving 99 in an open field to go after the one that is lost. So just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, what Jesus is contrasting here is not necessarily 99 perfect people, but their, but their, their knowledge of needing to repent. So this, this parable is, is regarding really the heart of heaven and those, and those who live there. Joy should come from lost people being found. And there's going to be a lot for us to hear today but this is, the, this is the crux of this opening of Jesus' story, is that heaven pays special atten- attention to those things that know that they are lost. Once they are righteous, once they are better than, once they are fully put together, once they forget who they were, forget their lostness, They don't provide the same joy in heaven. Verse 8. And by the way, it's, he taught them this parable. So even though it's a different story, it's the, same, it's the same story. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, what does she do? She calls together her friends and her neighbors who did not know that she had lost her coin. But I know you would want to rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want you to notice in these stories what it is, who it is that lights up heaven. Here, Jesus says the angels rejoice over a sinner's repentance. However, the self-righteous, the non-repentant person does not bring joy. Verse 11, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, very quickly, this younger son wanted his inheritance early, pretty much saying, uh, and most commentaries would agree, uh, this is more than just trying to be prudent and plan ahead. This is more of a, Dad, I don't really care. For all I care, you could go ahead and die. I just want to get on with my life. Because the custom was for the man, the male, to live with or at least near his parents until they had passed. And then you could strike it on your own. So for those first century listeners, they would have understood this young man's disrespect and his rebellion. And the young man received his property. That that word is usia, which which, uh, means uh, assets, goods, uh, not necessarily physical uh, property like like a 
like land, uh, but more of just the substance that he would have. And what he does, you know, he, he liquidates his assets by selling it, and he, he didn't want his daddy's things. He didn't want a relationship with his daddy. Uh, not now and not later. Well, really, any of the family. He wanted to be separate from them and be his own person. So those that are listening to this parable are definitely looking at all of the younger sons in the crowd, and they, the Pharisees are team dad. In fact, they hate the young son because of this. They are surrounded by sinners. They are surrounded by these rebellious people. In fact, they have just gotten mad because he is surrounding himself with these younger sons. So as Jesus tells this very negative side of the people that Jesus is hanging around, perhaps the Pharisees at this point in the story are saying, well, now Jesus has got a pretty good idea about these younger sons. Maybe he's not so bad after all. Maybe he's assembling all of these younger sons so that he can scold them and tell them how bad they are. Jesus continues, verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So now the young son is getting his due. He's desperate. He's working for a Gentile, feeding unclean pigs. You can think that Jesus is just grabbing any analogy that he can to fit the story. Not so. He specifically talks about pigs because in their culture, that would have really mattered. Feeding unclean pigs. Pigs were considered unclean to everyone who was listening to this story. They couldn't eat them. They couldn't raise them. They couldn't touch them. They were forbidden to even own them. The Talmud, which was a, a, consists of rabbinical teachings regarding the first five books of the, uh, of the Old Testament, the law, the Torah. The Talmud was very, very clear that pigs were detestable and were not for a Jew not to even be around them or trust anybody who did. So Jesus is really painting a very bleak story here. And the reason that's true is because they were unclean because of, 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 well, of one thing. But the rule was an animal was kosher if it chewed its own cud and it had cloven hooves. And so I don't know if many of you maybe raise hogs or pigs or anything. I'm not going to make any jokes here. So you don't have to get, you don't have to get upset just yet. But, um, but, but pigs, pigs are hypocrites. And, and, uh, and let me explain. So while pigs are cloven-hooved, you'd think they'd be kosher, but they are forbidden because they lie. Literally, when they're, when they're sleeping and they're laying down, they put their hooves out in front of them like, look, I'm clean, I'm cloven-hooved, but they do not chew the cud. And so all Jews would say pigs are just a bunch of hypocrites. And so anytime you find somebody who says one thing, but they do another, that's, you call them a pig, just a pig. That's why they call Gentiles a bunch of swine. Because they're hypocrites, they're liars. I want you to think they're something that they're not. And so Jews have this real, real, I'll say prejudice, I don't think that's the right word, but dislike toward anything pigs. 
Jesus knows how the Pharisees feel about this young man. They've made it pretty clear. And so he makes it worse. Worse. We know that you already don't like him, so I'm going to make him worse. He actually works for a Gentile. And uh, so the Greek word for steward, the root word of that is sty, which is where we get the idea of a pigsty. So originally pig farmers were, were sty keepers, uh, stewards. Eventually, because steward was somebody who's in charge of a, of a great hall of things. But originally, this word was people who keep swines. So he, he was a steward, people who are stewarding pigs, feeding them. And in fact, this Jew gets to where he wants to eat what pigs are eating. That's how low he is. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, oh, no, no, wait, this is where the story ends. Because up to this point, the Pharisees are like, yeah, Jesus, get him. But when he came, we don't want him to come to himself. We want him to die miserable. And then we can say, told you so. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, listen, this is important. Humility must come first. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Listen to the speech again. Father, I have sinned against you against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran to him, and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned before heaven, against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Mid-speech, because this isn't all of the speech. The other speech, the other part of the speech was, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. But the father, shh, stopped him. Didn't even let him get to the I am no longer worthy part of the story. Dad interrupts him just before the treat me as a hired servant part. But the father said to his servants, bring how fast? Quickly, the best robe. This is restoring dignity and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. I want him to be identified by my name. Put shoes on his feet for comfort and stability and bring the fatted calf, not pig pods, and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate and restore honor and satisfaction and contentment. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So if you've ever wanted to know how bad a person has to be before heaven celebrates their repentance, this gives you a pretty good idea. So often when we consider these parables from the point of view of the, of the lostness of the sinner, 
We think of the, the misery of the sheep, the hopeless condition of the coin, the degradation of the son. But Jesus, listen, it's so important to understand the context. Jesus isn't talking to broken people. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the ones who refuse to understand their need for repentance, who think they're all put together. They're the recipients of the story. So when we focus on the lost things, we miss the point. The lost things reveal the heart and character of God, what heaven is, how heaven processes the desire, the compassion, restoration. These parables, not of guilt, but parables that explain the feeling and the desire of the Father and his love and his care for all of his creation. His tireless efforts of searching and, and joy and finding. And so today, listen, I know you, you may believe in God, but if you are here today and you're lost, I just want you to know this morning, I want to take a moment. We do a lot of preaching and a lot of educating and a lot of information. I want everybody in this room, no matter where you are on the spectrum, I want you to know how valuable you are to the kingdom of God. I want you to remember your worth and how the Father sees you. Not how you see yourself or how your other brothers see you. I want you to see yourself how the Father sees you. Worthy. Beautiful. You may be worthless in your own sight. Your desperation and your emptiness and your guilt and your shame and your lostness. But you need to know and never forget that you are valuable to God. And he is searching. He is searching for lost things, lost people. He is able to see through the dirt and the prostitutes and the pig slop and craving for the things of the world. He, he's able to see through all of that and see what he created you to be and to become. In Isaiah 53, we are compared to lost sheep. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. But Isaiah goes on to show that God seeks us out even in our lost condition. In fact, in verse 7 of that same verse, it says that God himself, Jesus, became like us, a sheep silent before the shearers, a lamb led to the slaughter in order to find us and restore us to the Father. This one story with three parts, notice that the shepherd has a hundred sheep, one of them goes lost. He keeps 99%. Second story, the woman has 10 coins. She loses one of them, 10%. The story of the father or the prodigal son, he has two sons. One of them goes 50%. There's a progression that goes on here. But regardless of the intensity or the value or the worth, the desire is exactly the same. The joy of, of lost things being found is exactly the same. The difference in the case of the, and pardon this expression, but of the dumb sheep 
that makes decisions but can't process things. The shepherd goes to find them. The inanimate coin that cannot think for itself. The owner searches diligently for it. But the free will of the rebellious son, the father has to wait. But his heart is set on searching. Now, this is me speaking. This isn't in the scripture. But I just think of, uh, think of, uh, of the father in the third part of the story. He's just he's a horizon watcher. He's constantly scoping the horizon. Inside the house, he puts a window in, puts his desk up against the window so that he can look a long way off. There's, there's very seldom, again, it's just a story, but there's not a time when he's not watching down the road longing for his son to come around the bend. Sitting on the porch, watching the road, hoping, praying, dreaming. What will I do? What will I do when he comes around the road? And this dignified man reaches and grabs his dress, pulls it up to his knees so that he can run to this pig slop, mattered haired, young, rebellious son who practically cursed him on the way out the door and lavishes him with abounding, steadfast love. Some have suggested that each one of these stories, each person of the Godhead is pictured. In the first, Jesus is portrayed as the shepherd. After all, Jesus did say, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. The third parable is pretty obvious that it's the father portrayed as the human father. And some have suggested that the, the Holy Spirit appears in the second parable in the, the owner who lights a lamp and sweeps the house and you know carefully searches for the coin. That suggests maybe the Holy Spirit's work of illumination in darkness. But, but the point is that I'm trying to make is that the entire Godhead is at work, involved in the sinner's salvation. And the Father plans the restoration. Jesus achieves it by his work on the cross. And the Holy Spirit applies it to the individual by opening and illuminating our minds. If the Spirit does not draw a man, he can't come to repentance. So the story is the heart of God for the lost, the broken, the dumb, the rebellious, the ignorant, the desperate, the fearful, the guilty, the shamed, those who need to repent. The sheep knows it's lost, doesn't know what to do. The coin, I don't know what it knows. The younger son knows he's lost, but the whole point of these stories is about the thing, the person that does not realize that it's lost. It's the whole point of the story. Up until this point, we would say, yeah, yeah, we, we know God loves us and God loves repentance. There's one thing in this story that's lost and doesn't know it. The main lesson that the Lord is teaching the scribes and the Pharisees is contained in the very last part that, by the way, our least favorite part of the story we call it the story of the prodigal son. It's not. It's the story of the old brother. The point of these stories is to teach the prideful Pharisees about their lostness and their hardened heart and their unwillingness to even know that they had grown 
hardened to the Father. Their selfishness and their self-righteousness, their lack of sharing the Father's joy. The older brother is presented to us as a son in verse 25. Maybe Jesus is calling him saved, maybe not. We don't know. That's probably not the point. But we can't know for sure. But what we do know is that it's a story of a person that is being dominated by himself. Listen to the rest of the story in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. Now remember what's happening at the house. This, this no-holds-barred party. Well, some holds-barred maybe party. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Look at verse 28. But he was what? Wroth, angry, and he refused to go in. But remember what the father does with lost things. He searches for them. So his father came out and he entreated him. But he answered his father and said, look. It's one of those looks like with a finger. Look here. Pay attention to this. These many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. I didn't even get a goat. That really gets my goat. Verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, and he was lost and is found. Well, everything up to verse 25 is revealing the father's heart. Now, everything about the story is revealing the Pharisee's heart. And that's going to be the ultimate point. So there's a few things that I very quickly want to, to walk through these, these few verses and just share with us so that we can make practical application in our own life. So again, whether this son is a Christian or not is not really... Uh, it doesn't matter to the nature of the story. What does matter is the heart of the brother. So the older brother was filled, as we talked about last week, with a spirit of covetousness. Just notice this manifesting covetousness, envy, and jealousy. Verse 25 through 27. He should have been thrilled with gratitude that his presumed dead brother had returned, but no, he's not. He's jealous. How does jealousy work? Look at verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. The joy of celebration about spiritual things. The older son couldn't even see spiritual things. But the joy of celebration turned him off. He was happier 
when he thought his brother was dead. Because he deserved death. It's a picture of the one that is only happy when bad things happen to the people he doesn't like. Including his dad, by the way. Which he claims to love, but he obviously doesn't love his dad. Remember Jesus told us last week that we needed to be very careful and to be on guard about covetousness because you can struggle with it and not know it. That's the danger of the older brother. He was in a position spiritually that he didn't, wasn't even aware of. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Think of that. We don't, really, we don't really have a problem with jealousy. Jealousy is one of those things you can hide. Anger is hard to hide. You know, wrath is really hard to hide. Jealousy, I can hide jealousy some because it happens in here. But here's what the proverb says. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But the worst of them all, jealousy. It can starve out joy, peace, empowerment of the spirit. It can be seen in the face and the body language. It can be heard in a voice. Jealousy is killing. Proverbs 6.34, For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply Gifts. In fact, Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Next, we see that the older brother found service a drudgery rather than joy. Serving the Lord was an obligation, not a joy. Remember what recognizing humility and lostness taught the younger son? I will go back as a slave before my father. But look at the older son again in verse 28 and 29. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. That word served is doulos, which is also translated slave. I have subjugated myself to you, hoping for something eventually in return. I have never disobeyed your command. You've never given me a young goat. I might celebrate with my friends. He's focused on what he doesn't have rather than being able to have joy in what he does because he doesn't like what he has. He wants more. He wants different. He wants self. He was a good worker. He certainly wasn't lazy. But one of the marks of a worldly Christian is working with the wrong heart. Not not working, but working with the wrong heart for the wrong reason. Does the love of the Father compel us to truly serve Him? Here's how we know. Here's how we know if, it, if we serve Jesus because we love Him, here's how we'll know. We celebrate when others find Him. That's how we know. It's because there's joy when lost things come home. The older brother was dominated by self. I think of Romans chapter 
8 verses 1 and then in verse 13. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul said a very similar thing to Galatian, to the Galatian Christians in chapter 5 verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. And then that one you can hide, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's really easy for us to to really focus on some of these idolatry and sorcery and sexual immorality and drunkenness and orgies, but we don't really pay attention to the desires of our heart, only the actions of our hand. And so this Pharisee was only paying attention to the actions of his hand. He's self-righteous, verse 29. He hadn't done the awful things that his brother had done. His brother was guilty. There's a lot of truth in this, but his better-than attitude was disgraceful. It's another story Jesus brought to the attention in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. You notice the heart? Yeah, you're doing good things, but man, you're selfish. And he was self-centered. Rather than focusing on the big picture of the kingdom, the things that are going on around him, what God is doing and God's glory being displayed, he could only see himself. He could only see those that are on his team, his friends. By the way, they would have shared his opinions too about the whole thing. In verse 29, we have the words I or me. It's a wonder sometimes we see everything from our own perspective or can we rejoice in things where we see heaven expanded on earth. We only see things through our benefits, only see things, even if it's the kingdom, even if it, whatever it may be, we only see things through our experiences. Do we have to be the center of attention? He was full of self-pity, Honestly, as, as, I mean, I have no bias really to the story. This brother seems like a big uh, baby, doesn't he? Sitting outside pouting. It's not about me. The only cure for self-pity, the only cure for self-pity is to develop the heart of Jesus for lost things. If you do not have a heart for lost people, you're always going to gravitate to self. you got to serve from a place of humility. Rejoice with the Father. The fruit of the Holy Spirit produces that you had no part in. Listen, this older brother could not rejoice in lost things coming home because he hadn't invested in his younger brother's redemption at all. He was competition, not family. He was focused on acts of works, not acts of grace. 
But it's the acts of grace when God so graciously gives to us that brings us to repentance, that brings us to restoration, that causes heaven to rejoice. But when you focus on acts of works, heaven doesn't rejoice. He wasn't invested in the return of his brother. He couldn't rejoice in it. He was also self-satisfied. As long as his brother was away, he was the good guy. He didn't have to work nearly as hard at being the good one. He was content with his efforts at obedience because in his mind, his obedience existed only to earn favor. His obedience should have existed because of his relationship to the Father. He looked for future favor instead of being satisfied by current favor. Think of the pain that he had avoided because of his morality and of his works. Think of the pain. Think of the ghosts that will not haunt him because he didn't go off in lavish spending and luxurious living with the pig pen. But, but all he could see was the pain caused him. He had a, a real selfish martyr complex because he was in bondage to the law. He was in bondage to the check boxes. He checked all the boxes. But his heart was so far from the Father's heart. He was filled with ingratitude. Everything the Father had belonged to the older son. But rather than rejoicing, he didn't want his brother to get any of it. He couldn't be thankful. He lived a life of comparison. Listen, let me, uh, you know, I, I know I don't have much, you know, room to, to speak from much authority. But let me give you this little word of advice. Do not live a life of comparison. It's, it brings you to misery. Comparison will always lead to ingratitude. Look at verse 30. And there, there's no sympathy to the lost. But this son of yours, you devoured your property, prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. There are, there are carnal Christians who think and speak like this. Do, I mean, can you see his complete lack of sympathy with the things that the father loves and been praying for and wanted, this son of yours, your stuff on prostitutes. I mean, he could only see what his brother, brother had done and could not see who he is now. He refused to be able to see what his brother was today and only chose to focus on his, what his brother was yesterday. He couldn't rejoice with any kind of growth because the older brother hadn't experienced any of it. The older brother is kind of summing all this up. The older brother was as lost at home as the younger brother was lost with prostitutes. The older brother was just as separated from the heart of the father as the younger son. The difference is the younger son knew it. The older son didn't know it. 
So I want you to notice what the father does to the prodigal son and what the father does to the older son. So here's the remedy for this worldliness, this Pharisee mentality of better than self-righteous selfishness, self-reliance, worldview. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, I love that, so gentle. Look, dad, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting, appropriate to celebrate and to be glad for your brother was dead. This, your brother, not this, my son, was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. So here's a couple of things. You got to remember who you are. If you ever forget who you are, you got to remember you are a son or a daughter of the father. How unworthy the older brother's attitude and spirit is for a son of God. He forgot that everything he despised about his brother, he was too. Only he didn't smell like pigs. The outward appearance may be different, but their hearts were exactly the same. One repulsed people outwardly. And the other one could go to the store without turning heads. But that didn't make him less dirty on the inside. I love that the father calls them both sons. You've got to remember, remember who we are. Remember that the goal isn't what you can get, but who you can get. He said, you are always with me. Listen, we need to make sure that our hearts are always right as we serve. Serving for his glory and not just his blessing. See, then you can rejoice regardless of what happens in life. Finally, think of what you already have. And not what you don't have. He said, everything I have is yours. There's consequences to the younger sons demanding his inheritance early. It's not there anymore. But he's still my son. But everything I have belongs to you. You need to be satisfied with what you have. Don't focus on what you don't have. So I want us to do this morning. As we very quickly look at the Father's summation of all of the lostness, is I want us to evaluate our own hearts. In the stillness of this moment, this, this morning, I want us just to, to bow our heads, close our eyes. I don't want us to think about lunch. Don't think about what you got to do as soon as we say amen. I want you to focus on what the Spirit is teaching us this morning about this spirit of humility this recognition of who we are in light of who the Father is. And just because we don't smell like pigs doesn't mean that our hearts are right. And even as the people of God, how hardened our hearts can sometimes be when we play that comparison game, when we play that things aren't going my way game. And I listen, I'm a practitioner of that. 
learning. So whether, whether this morning you, you realize it or not, you know, I, I want to pray that we would pray repentance. But, you know, repentance is something that God, God gives us. It changes our heart. But we can acknowledge today. And, and, even, and even, listen, if you are, if you are like ex- content exactly where you are, then we need to just pray that God would continue to keep us humble. You know, I want to give everybody the, the benefit of the doubt this morning, but I want us just to spend a moment just asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts, not our theology, not our decision-making, to illuminate our hearts and our minds to see if our attitudes are right in relationship to the Father, in relationship to the lost son, What, what a different story that would have been if the older brother could have rejoiced with the father and he could have rejoiced with the younger son. What is it that keeps you from rejoicing? What is it that keeps you from searching for lost things, lost people? What is it that keeps you from broken things? things that need restored. The older brother, it was easy for him to justify his decisions. But the father shot right through all of it. One day we'll have an opportunity to justify but the father's going to shoot right to the heart of the matter. So today, if you are willing to repent or willing to ask for repentance if you are if you just let's just pray that God would soften our hearts can we just do that together today that God would soften our hearts that God would humble us toward brokenness and may we have the heart of the father Are you hardened and don't know it? Look at the fruit. What's the motivation of your actions? What's the justification of your heart? As the Father conforms us to the image of His Son, wouldn't He also give us a desire for lost things? Shouldn't we arrange our life so that we're constantly looking at the horizon, running, embracing, kissing, loving those that were far off, dead, and now resurrected?
Father, this morning, we love you and I pray that our hearts would melt. Lord, we are so easily distracted. We are so easily manipulated. I want to be I want to pray out loud. Lord, I pray that you would humble any hardness, the hardness I know and the hardness that I don't about my heart. Lord, I want to see come to pass what you want. I want to rejoice in things I don't invest in. I don't want to live a life of comparison. I don't want to live a life of competition. I want to live a life of unity, a life of cooperation, a life of family, of brothers rejoicing with brothers. So Lord, I pray that you would use this, this moment as a catalyst for more moments of cooperation and unity and selflessness. Forgive us. Forgive me. So I lay bare before you and just ask, Lord, that you would forgive. You would restore. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you are abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Lord, we pray that we would rejoice in the things you rejoice in. Seek after the things you seek. Become what we can become according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.